Hey guys, we're so glad you're tuning into the Apex Students Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Apex Students, and we pray that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. There's something nice about eating food that you didn't prepare. You think that's true? Like, I mean, making a great meal, I can appreciate. I love a stew. Sam's like favorite food is a stew. You just like cut everything you want in the stew up and put and like just let it soak and be hot for hours and hours and it's delicious. Um, but there is something about like ordering food like at a restaurant or drive through that I really love. Like it's you, it's consistent, it's fast, it's delicious. Um, it's a beautiful thing. There is one occasional obstacle to food at a restaurant or drive-thru, and that is when the picture on the menu does not match the picture of the sandwich or taco, et cetera, that you got, right? That is a struggle that has been, it's around for ages. Um, it's such a disappointment. Like, it's like being catfished, but food, right? It's very, it's exactly catfished. Um, and you like see this delicious cheeseburger in the menu and then you get it and then like the bun's a weird color and the burger's like dry and there's like 10 times more lettuce and less cheese than they're supposed to be. It's like, it's just sad. I don't know if you know this, um, but if you like have, if you see on a commercial where they have like this, they take a slice of pizza out and there's that string of that beautiful, perfect string of cheese, it's glue. It's glue. Yeah, you do know this. And the rest of the pizza is nailed to the table so that it doesn't move. Do you know about pancakes? When they pour the syrup on the pancakes and commercials, what's that syrup? It's motor oil. So it's not just delicious syrup falling perfectly on your pancakes. I hate to disappoint you, but those are disappointing revelations. My most recent, I want to tell you about my most recent fast food disappointment. I, until like today, was on keto for almost a month. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it was hard. So when I, so keto means you don't eat like sugar or bread, like that, carbs. Um, and so I went to Taco Bell and I was like, okay, well, first I went to Wendy's and I was like, got my order at Wendy's, but without the bun. They know how to do it. They know how to package it. They put my condiments in the side. It was perfect. And so I went to Taco Bell and I said, can I get my chicken quesadilla with no tortilla? And she said, you don't want the tortilla? And I said, yes, no tortilla. And she said, hold on a second. <laughs> so she went to the back and she like, she talked to the, the cook or something. I don't know what they worked out. But when she came back, she seemed confident that she, that I was about to have a chicken quesadilla, <laughs> no tortilla. Um, so like I got, we got to the window. This was just a couple weeks ago. Dave was driving and we got to the window and I got this receipt and it was like cheaper than I was expecting. Cause like his chicken quesadilla is like the, one of the best things on the menu and they know it. So they like jack up the price. And when I got the receipt, I was like, that's kind of cheap for chicken quesadilla minus tortilla. But I was pumped about that because I was like, I'm about to get this every day if it's as cheap as it is right here. And so I would not have been as pumped as I was if I would have known what she was about to hand me. Because what she handed me was the smallest cup of, one cup of chicken, not like a cup, like a, like a measurable cup of chicken with like some cheese and sauce dripped on. And don't get me wrong, it was delicious. <laughs> but I was done in like two bites. It was very disappointing. I've since gone and fixed that, and I know how to order it correctly, and the, the next lady like knew what she was talking about and really helped me get what I wanted. But it was not quite what I was expecting. Um, I, I was on my way here when it happened, actually, and I told the staff, we have a huddle before every service, and I told them all about it, because it was all I was thinking about, so I just needed to, to tell someone, because I was devastated. We've all been disappointed by the picture of the menu on the menu at a restaurant, but honestly, like disappointment as a, as a thing, like 
that comes up all over our lives. Like it's, and there are bigger things that are disappointing us than our restaurant food. Everything from an unmet, unmet expectation at Taco Bell to something like, like not being accepted to your dream college or like an unexpected breakup or a conflict in your family, um, a disappointment of a, a non-existent social life or to some of you that that's something we're celebrating. Um, but maybe like the loss of a close loved one. Like there's all, there's this big spectrum of disappointments in life. We all go through these things. We go through the little ones, especially like often, like, you know, a d- disappointment a day. <laughs> but there are these big ones occasionally that really, really hit us. They devastate us. And this is what happens when experiences don't meet expectations. Disappointment. If you didn't catch that, let me say it again in a little bit, uh, a more complete sentence. When your, ex- when your experiences, spoiler alert, when your experiences don't match your expectations, you get disappointment. When your experiences don't match your expectations, you get disappointment. So whenever something uh, is in is this tied into the human experience that we all go through, you can probably expect it to be covered in the Bible because the Bible is God's instruction to man how to live, and disappointment is a part of life. So it would stand to reason that there is some stuff in there about disappointment, and that is true, unmet expectations. The Israelites were disappointed when they were freed from slavery in Egypt and had to walk through the desert for a long time. They said, at least when we were slaves in Egypt, we had a full belly. Jesus' hometown uh, was disappointed with his homecoming because like he came as the Messiah, savior of the universe. And they were like, I saw that kid poop in his diaper. That cannot be the savior. They were disappointed. Um, the disciples were disappointed when they saw Jesus die on the cross. This is the guy that was supposed to lead us and save us from oppression. And now he's dead. That was a big disappointment. That means if you have felt the sting of disappointment in your life, you are in good company. <laughs> you are not alone. Tonight, we're talking about a man named Joseph and Joseph's life and Joseph's journey. Uh, it's recorded in the book of Genesis, which, if you know, is the first book in your Bible. Open it up, past the contents, uh, past the book of contents, you're going to find the book of Genesis. Um, as we read his story, you're going to see like his life was a journey packed with disappointment and victory and disappointment and disappointment and disappointment and victory, all kinds of stuff. So we're going to track this journey. If you're a note taker, these might serve as your points. Um, And it doesn't start out, Joseph's story does not start out in disappointment. It starts out in his father's house. And in Jacob's house, he was the favorite child. Raise your hand if you are your parents' favorite child. It's nice, isn't it? (laughs) Me too. It's the best. (laughs) Being the favorite is really great. The difference here is that Jacob, who is Joseph's father, was not discreet about it. Like, you know, when you ask your parents, you're like, I'm the favorite, right? And they're like, oh no, I don't have any favorites. They have to say that. Jacob didn't really care. <laughs> Jacob like had his favorite, it was Joseph, and he was not like shy about it. So um, in Genesis 37, um, we see like a lot of Joseph's early life. Jacob gives his son Joseph a beautiful coat. Um, also known in Sunday school as the coat of many colors. You might be familiar with this. Or also known on Broadway as the Technicolor Dream Coat. Lots of names for this thing. Two things about this gift. Um, because I think like when we read the Bible, we got to remember this was thousands of years ago and there, it was a different culture. It was a different world. So Joseph was given this coat. And in one way, it sounds cool, but isn't. And in another way, it sounds lame, but isn't. So let me, let me, do, let me do that one first. This coat as a gift sounds lame to get a coat as a gift. I'm going to tell you why it's not. There are like way sweeter gifts to get than a coat, right? Like if Jacob had given Joseph an iPad, I'd be like, wow, that's probably his favorite son, right? Or like 
the, the, like they get weirder and weirder, but like the new pair of Yeezys, they're like, wow, those are some weird shoes. He must love his kid. So like, I think that would communicate to me, <laughs> this sick, awesome gift would communicate to me, okay, I can see that that's his favorite. So to understand why this coat is a big deal, we have to understand the culture. First of all, that coat being beautiful and colorful is significant because most of the fabric at the time was just like brown. <laughs> there was a lot of brown going on. It was a certain aesthetic. Now, other like colors, colored fabrics and thread and stuff were usually reserved for just royal people. There was just royalty that had colorful clothes because it was expensive. Like we're talking about shipping dye, like colored dye and like all kinds of different, like if you just made a regular thing that you just made from the sheep you had out back, it was going to be like brown or white or black. But if you got a colored coat, it meant that you had money and that you had money to spend. So giving that coat to Joseph was a sign of like, this is a wealthy gift. This is a, an expensive gift. The second thing is that um, this is a farming culture, right? And so who doesn't usually need a coat? Farmers, because they're like working hard and sweating and stuff, right? Who might need a coat is the supervisor of the farmers. So this coat was actually a symbol of authority. Like wearing a coat at this time meant that you weren't, you know, plowing fields. You were overseeing people that were plowing fields. So this coat that Joseph received from his father was a big deal. It, was, it, it carried some weight, some significance. And that leads us to why it sounds cool, but it didn't really turn out that way. So now we know why the gift was valuable. That's kind of cool, right? You got this really special gift. But then it doesn't turn out that way because now we understand this culture and why the, the coat was so cool. Problem is, Joseph's brothers <laughs> also understood the culture and knew that this coat was a big deal. And like that kind of thing usually went to the oldest son, which J uh, Joseph was definitely not. And so they had like a problem with their father picking a favorite so openly. And like they saw this gift as him like putting Joseph above them, like in authority over them. It was clear that he had a favorite and they were not happy about it. To top it all off, at Jacob's house, Joseph began having some dreams. And I'm not going to go into these dreams. Genesis 37 is where you want to look for that. But in these dreams, like basically he would say, I had this dream and what it meant was you guys are going to bow down to me someday, brothers. <laughs> Can you imagine if like your sibling came up to you and said, you know, I can't wait for the day that you just like bow at my feet. <laughs> not well received. So Joseph's brothers were not happy. And, and like these dreams, plus the way that the, the gift and the way that their dad was treating him, it was just, they couldn't stand it anymore. So they hatched a scheme and this was not your run-of-the-mill sibling scheme. We have all schemed against our siblings, maybe to snitch on them, maybe to um, make something look like their fault that might not have been their fault, or take something from their room without permission. Um, not you, I'm sure, just like people, you know? And this was a different time and a heightened conflict. Like, they had some real problems. So Joseph's brothers schemed to kill him. This, it was that big of a deal in their household that they were going to kill him. Uh, they were really hurt and threatened by Joseph, and so they decided to take care of it. So one day, Joseph put on his special coat and started walking toward the field where his brothers were hard at work. Again, why aren't you working with your brothers? You're just taking a stroll in your coat. So he went to visit his brothers, uh, and this is what it says in Genesis 37. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer. Remember those dreams he had. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, which is just a pit, a well that was dried up. Throw him in one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. 
I know what'll make that dream not come true. We'll just end your life right here. So their plan was to rip off his coat, beat him to death, and then throw him in a pit. Really dark stuff. Uh, They were even ready with the lie they were going to tell their father about it. As you can imagine, this was not Joseph's expectations for his life. This is, this left him disappointed. Like it seemed like things were going well for Joseph. Like from his perspective, he's got these prophetic dreams where he's going to be an authority someday over his family. He got this sick coat to wear around everybody. He's got the blessing from his father. Uh, cause he's the favorite son and he's going to get authority because of that. He would have assumed things were looking up for old Joey OT. If I, cause there's Joey's in the new Testament too. Joey OT. So if I had to guess, Joseph was feeling pretty alone, abandoned, betrayed. Not just by his brothers. Being beaten up by his own family was a big deal, but betrayed by God, left alone, like left lifeless. He was about to be thrown into this pit to die. So Joseph had heard of the blessings of God in the past. So, and he like felt like he was in line for that. Like clearly I'm next. I'm going to be blessed. Things are going to be awesome. But that's not quite how it turned out. It felt it would have felt very final for Joseph in that moment. How, how am I, how am I going to get out of this? And this is something I want us to see about Joseph's story uh, because it shows up in our stories. It shows up in our lives. And this is the bottom line for tonight, which means if you remember one thing, this is what I want you to remember. I know it can be hard to remember the many places Joseph goes, but the one thing I'd like you to remember is that God is present in your disappointment. God is present in your disappointment. It probably felt so final for Joseph in that moment. At this point, it, like if it wasn't, final, you know, but the problem was, sorry, it felt final, but it wasn't final. That's what I'm trying to say. It felt final, but it wasn't final. It turned out Joseph, one of Joseph's other brothers stepped in. Okay. So Reuben was his name. He was one of the older ones. And uh, Reuben's like felt convicted about beating up and killing his brother. Crazy. I would have felt convicted a little earlier than that. I hope. But Reuben was like, he stepped in. He said, okay, we can't do this. Um, and this is what it says in Genesis 37. It says, but when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So, you know, he hatched this a scheme where he could say, you know, let's, we don't need, we want the blood on our hands. We don't want to murder anyone. So let's just beat him up and leave him for dead so we can say that we didn't kill a man. But he secretly was going to plant, you know, he was, that was how he sold it to his brothers. But he's like, okay, I'm going to go save him in the future. At this point, if you're keeping score at home, Joseph is in the pit. These are the, the, the movements of, of Joseph. He's now in the pit. Reuben didn't feel right about killing his brother, so he made a plan to rescue him. Apparently, Reuben took off a little early. <laughs> he went, I don't know, to get a drink or, uh, you know, plow a field. I don't know what he did. But he took off. He left. But he left too early because shortly after that, they put Joseph in the pit and a group of travelers came by. And these travelers, um, they, they piqued one of the other brother's interests. And this other brother said, you know, why do we, we just kill him? Like, if we kill him, we got some problems that are going to go away. But like, we don't get anything, Right. So if we can sell him as a slave to these travelers, then we'll get some money out of it on top of our problems going away. And the other brothers are like, that's a good idea. So they did that. The uh, travelers came through and the brothers agreed to sell Joseph into slavery. So now he's sold to travelers. Again, this has got to feel pretty final. Like Joseph, I'm sure he had faith the whole way. You know, he served God the whole way. And it's not as final as death, but like being betrayed and sold by your family 
He had to assume that his life is now headed in a different direction than he was headed before. Here's the thing about God and Joseph. Here's the thing about God and you. If there's a pulse, it's not over. If you have a pulse, it is not over because God is present in your disappointment. He was disappointed with the way his life was going. I have to imagine. But God was still with him. If you keep reading Genesis 37, you'll see how this part of his story ends um, with these travelers selling Joseph into slavery in Egypt. So Joseph ended up working for an Egyptian official who was like a a high-ranking fellow named Potiphar. And uh, Joseph's story picks back up in Genesis 39, where we'll we'll see his experience as a slave at uh, Potiphar's house. So that's his next location, Potiphar's estate. So his experience as a slave in Potiphar's house was that God kept blessing him, which is wild. Like he experiences this huge betrayal by man and then he, you know, is, is sunk to the bottom of society, of Potiphar's house. He's this brand new slave. And, and God still blesses him in that moment. There, like, this is the problem. There was a reason that Jacob trusted Joseph so much. There was a reason that he felt like God's favor was on him, because Joseph was awesome. <laughs> Joseph was really good. Everything did, everything Joseph did was a huge success. God all, he, because God's favor was on him, right? So it wasn't just that Joseph was awesome. He was awesome because God kept blessing him. And those blessings to his father were honorable. To his brothers were detestable. To Potiphar, they were promotable. Joseph was such a great employee to Potiphar that he ended up getting more and more freedom, more and more responsibility, more to do around Potiphar's estate. So he was like, it had to be devastating to start out where he was, but he remained faithful to God and, con- and God continued to bless him. And everything Joseph touched, like turned to gold, everything he did got better and ran smoother. And eventually Potiphar put him in charge of his like whole house, his whole estate. Now, like it's Potiphar, And then Joseph, like Joseph is running the whole show. He's the right-hand man. And again, we're at a place where things are looking up for Joseph. Joseph's next setback, right? This is, we're going back and forth. His next setback is one that I'm very familiar with. And um, it was that he was too darn handsome. That was the problem that Joseph had. Oh, you don't believe me? Here are the receipts. Genesis 39, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. I don't know what it means. You can decide what that means for yourself. Look it up. There it is, the gospel truth. So here is how his handsomeness got him into trouble. Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. His boss's wife, this is a problem. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. I know. It's like a soap opera. So Joseph refused. He said, no. He said, look. He told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you. Duh, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. So Joseph is being seduced by his boss's wife. What a problem. And he recognizes, like, that would be the wrong thing to do. It would betray Potiphar's trust. It would be a sin against God. He just knew it was the wrong thing to do. It was plain wrong. But Potiphar's wife was probably not used to being rejected because she was the wife of a high-ranking Egyptian official. So she probably got whatever she wanted. The Bible doesn't say this. This is just me maybe suggesting this wasn't the first proposition she had made an employee. I can't say that for certain, but like when you read the Bible, people are often in character that, you know, the, the Bible paints them. And if I had to guess, I'd say this is not the first time, but maybe the first time she was rejected. 
So Potiphar's wife had a problem with this rejection and it wasn't a one-time thing. She was persistent. She kept asking him. Like he kept rejecting her to the point where he was like avoiding her, like taking the long, the long way around the palace to like avoid her. And eventually Joseph fell prey to another coat-related scheme. Genesis 39, it says this. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that he, she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all of the men came running. And so she lied to the servants at this point, And she accused Joseph of trying to force her into bed. And now she has this coat in her hand as evidence. And maybe they even saw Joseph running from the bedroom as evidence. And this is the lie that Potiphar's wife begins to build. As much prosperity and blessing that God had given Potiphar through Joseph, Joseph leading Potiphar's house, this is not something Potiphar could like, you know, sweep under the rug. This was something he couldn't look past. He believed his wife's lie and he sent Joseph to prison. And because Potiphar was like a high-ranking official, he didn't go to just like the county jail. He went to a max security prison. He went to the, the, the Pharaoh's like prison. This is like the, the most important people, criminals, the most, you know, worst criminals in the land would go to this place, a priority prison. It would be easy to think, again, here, that God has abandoned Joseph. He, he let him get so high just to knock him down, make him go to prison. But again, we have to look. When, whenever Joseph's, take, Joseph's life takes a downward slope, it's some person messing it up. We see God's blessing and then a person messing it up. God doesn't do that. It was a person messing it up again. It would be easy to think God has been abandoned or God has abandoned Joseph here. But if you remember, God is present in our disappointment. It's a little spoiler for what happens next. Uh, this story is going to need a serious turnaround to be true. He was betrayed, beaten, sold by his family. He lost everything because of his handsomeness, a curse, and, and a lie from Potiphar's wife. And now he's in jail, probably eating stale bread and drinking murky water. Joseph had plenty of reasons to be disappointed. He was disappointed. But just like in our lives, God is present in our disappointment. Joseph's story is a roller coaster, so brace yourself for another quick turn. Joseph is now in prison. Better and worse than beaten and sold into slavery by your brothers? I'm not sure. But now he's in prison, and uh, this is what Genesis 39, one, uh, 21 and 23 says. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long... The warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. He's got that magic touch. Everything Joseph does, it goes right because of God's blessing. God was still with him. He continued to favor him in everything Joseph did. He rose to leadership even in a prison. He rose to the top. After two long years, remember we're in Pharaoh's prison, two long years in the prison, something crazy happens above ground. Now, I'm not sure if he's actually underground. That is how I picture it, in a dungeon under the palace. I don't have the archaeology to back that up. But something crazy happens with the Pharaoh. Pharaoh, leader of Egypt, the most powerful person in Egypt, definitely in the world, maybe. Very powerful fella. The Pharaoh has a bizarre dream. He dreamed of like really scary cannibalistic cows. 
Read it. It's fun. Uh, Genesis. <laughs> Genesis 39. You'll, you'll have to read about those cows. But here's the thing. Pharaoh was like, this isn't just a normal dream. I know this dream means something. Like, this isn't just, uh, like, I didn't have weird food before I went to bed. This is a dream that means something. And he, like, kept asking people. And, like, Egypt was a, you know, they had their own spirituality, not the God that Joseph's family served. They had their own spirituality. He probably had, like, magicians and, and like, priests come and, like, say, what does this dream mean? And nobody could tell him. Nobody could tell him what his dream meant. And then his cupbearer showed up. This is the person that, depending on which historical context you look at, like brings the wine to the Pharaoh, maybe takes a sip so that we know it's not poisoned, and then takes it to Pharaoh. This is the cupbearer to the Pharaoh. And he shows up on the scene, and he was like, you know what? I was in prison not long ago, and while I was there, I had a weird dream as well that I thought was important, and I asked around, and there was this very handsome prisoner that interpreted the dream for me, and what he said would happen came true. Like, he took my dream, and he, predict- he-, he showed me what that meant about what was about to happen in my real life, and then it really happened. And, and so the cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I think I know a guy. Now, you're going to have to, like, bust him out of jail, <laughs> but I know a guy, and he's here. He's close. I promise you, he interpreted my dream, and what he said would happen, happened. So before you know it, Joseph was out of the prison and then into Pharaoh's palace. Crazy. Just, like, instantly brought before the, the most important, most powerful person in Egypt. Joseph was tasked with interpreting Pharaoh's dream. I think he had done before, interpreted his own dreams, interpreted some dreams in the prison. He's before Pharaoh. And I, he probably didn't say it this way, but he says, I'm sorry, I can't interpret your dream. But God can. That's how I imagine it. I don't know if it was that dramatic. His life was at stake, so he probably didn't play games. So he explained he couldn't do it, but, but I serve a God, a different God than the one you believe in, because I, I, we don't think that one's real. <laughs> he says, I serve a God that, that is real and that has these types of, that can do these types of things, and I can interpret your dream through the power of God. So that's what happens. Pharaoh explains his dream to Joseph, and Joseph receives an interpretation from God. And the dreams predicted seven years of harvest, seven years of like lots and lots of food, which if this dream hadn't happened, what an amazing seven years that would have been. They would have just been living it up, eating as much as they wanted. Everybody's rich and happy. But the dream showed them that the next seven years, there was going to be nothing. There was going to be famine, no rain to make crops, no nothing. So imagine if this dream situation didn't happen, seven years where it's like really awesome, and then the next seven years, everybody dies because there's no food. So this interpretation changed the game. Joseph giving the Pharaoh this interpretation changed everything because he also laid out a plan. He said, you know what? If we store half of our food in these first seven years, the next seven years, we'll have something to eat. And the Pharaoh was so impressed. And I, and I, can't, I don't know if he 100% believed it because it took a whole eight years for him to know if it was true or not. But he believed it enough to say, I, I, okay, it worked for the cupbearer. I have to assume that what you've predicted will come true, that those dreams will be what you said. And because of that, I can think of no better person to put in charge of this project. So the Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of the plan to prepare for the seven years of famine. He was so pleased and he saw God's blessing on Joseph's life. He said this in Genesis um, 41 Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. Close, Pharaoh, but it's it's like through God, so close, but yes. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. 
only I sitting on my throne will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. I took like one quote. There is a record in Genesis 41 of this even longer place where Pharaoh puts him in charge. He gives Joseph, like the decree of the Pharaoh was a big deal. Again, a roller coaster of a journey. We are, you know, we've got twists and turns, climbs and drops, 360 corkscrews, and other roller coaster words. One thing consistent, the thing that stayed consistent through Joseph's life is that God was present in his disappointment. Every time, God would bring blessing, and the bad things that happened did not come from God. God was giving him favor and blessing. He was, and even in the bad times, God was present in his disappointment. Even though he took a beating from his brothers, even though he lost everything because of a lie from Potiphar's wife, even through every disappointment of Joseph's life, God was there. He was with him. I want you to know that about God. That's what I want you to see about God. Like this was a lot of story and like narrative of Joseph's life. And for some of you, like growing up in Sunday school, you know all about Joseph. I think some people, a bunch of people in this room don't know that much about Joseph. And so that's why we kind of took some time to slowly go through Joseph's story. There's way more too that I skipped. But I'm sure that like this bottom line is something we can all like stand on. This one thing that I want you to see through Joseph's life is that God is present in your disappointments. Every time God is present in your disappointment. If you go through life with that in mind, it helps you persevere through disappointment. I know like a lot of, some of your stories in this room, not a lot, I would say most of you, I know like some of the marks of your life and you've been through a lot. You have been through trauma and tests and really difficult things. And what I want you to know about from the story of Joseph, the life of Joseph, is that God is with you. And you've experienced that. God is present in your disappointments. And when you live life knowing that, the future isn't so scary either. That when you know, like, the next time you go through a bad time, the next time that you have a huge disappointment, you can remember God hasn't forgotten you. When, like, a loved one is sick or a friend stabs you in the back, or when you have to have surgery on a back, when a parent lets you down in a big way. Like, we have been promised that we'll experience disappointments. That's going to happen. But we have also been promised that God will be present in our disappointment. He's there to comfort us and bring us through it. For 2 Corinthians says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Not only does he comfort us in our pain, he uses our pain to ultimately give him glory in the end. Romans 8, this is one you may have heard many times before. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. He doesn't cause the bad things that happen to us. You will never hear me say everything happens for a reason because I don't believe it does. <laughs> so what you will hear me say is what I believe this scripture is saying. God gives reason to everything that happens. Let me slow down. Everything doesn't happen for a reason. That's not how I see the world. But God gives reason to everything that happens. He redeems everything that happens. Maybe for you, he will put you in charge of Egypt so you can make a plan to save people from starving. Maybe. Probably not, but maybe. Maybe you can understand what someone else is going through. You went through this really hard thing. And God will give reason to that in a time where someone else is going through it. And you get to comfort them which is actually the end of that last verse in, in 2 Corinthians. It goes on to say, God has comforted us so that we can comfort other people. Maybe for you, without the struggle or disappointment, you wouldn't be where you needed to be 
for your next blessing. Some people in this room went through something really hard in their life and it brought them to church and it brought them to this family and it brought them to God. God gives reason to everything that happens. It's what he does. Every time he redeems evil, it's what he does. He brings life from death. And this is where I hope your Jesus senses are tingling. Um, When we're talking about bringing death to life, like what better example is the Jesus? Not only did he like heal sick people and bring dead people back to life, but he himself literally died and literally came back to life. Legit. And I'm sure again, like he had died. It looked like it was over. I'm sure his followers were very disappointed. It was not at all what they expected, but God was present in their disappointment and he defeated death and came back to life. That's what we believe. That's why we're here. He turns death into life. It's what he does. So next time you experience disappointment, it might be the next time your family is struck with a big tragedy. Maybe you see something on the news that overwhelms you. Or maybe tonight when you're trying to fall asleep and you are rehearsing every bad thing you've ever done. Maybe that's your next disappointment. Remember, even when you feel alone with God, you never are. And God is present in your disappointment. Let's pray. God, Thank you for being a God that cares for us and is with us and blesses us. Thank you for the, for the life of Joseph that we can look at and see your blessing in difficult times. Thank you for what we can learn about you, what you do, how you are present in our disappointment. And we can see that when we are faithful to you, you continue to bless us and that people can get in the way and they can cause bad things to happen. But ultimately, you're going to bring good from it. That's what you do. You bring life out of death. You give reason to everything that happens. So God, I thank you tonight and I pray that you help us to remember that in our next time of tragedy, in our next time of disappointment, you would remind us of this phrase. You're present in our disappointment. That you would remind us of Joseph and that we could read Genesis 37 and 39, 40, 41. We can look for Joseph's story and find a story of your presence through a a disappointing set of events. God, we thank you that you're with us And we ask that you would help us to remember that. Just ask that you would help us to remember that you are present in our disappointment. We love you and we thank you. In your precious name we pray, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this Apex Student Podcast. You can listen to more Apex teachings by subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We pray that this message has impacted your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. 